Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. So I'd like the congregation to please turn to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. And I'd ask everyone to stand as we first pray and then read the word of God. John 20, verses 30 to 31. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is a lamp to our path and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen your servant so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. So the text says, John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, the NIV says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Please be seated. I'd like to speak to the church today on the sermon titled, Reasons to Believe. This is a sermon not knowing where you are in your walk with God, but it's a sermon designed to equip you with the factual, legitimate, real life facts that compels us, that persuades us to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So I don't know where you are and you walk with God, but if you've ever had a doubt, if you've ever asked yourself, how can I trust the Bible? How do I know Jesus is my God and my Savior? That's the focus of this sermon. Now, John says, he writes, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So in our theme verses, John is persuading us. He's giving us reasons to believe. And when he uses the word believe, it comes from a Greek word, pisteo, which is used almost a hundred times in his book. And it means to have faith in, to trust in, to commit oneself one to, to be persuaded by. And the thrust of this verse in John's gospel is that we are to come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. We're not to believe, we're not to trust in Jesus as a good guy, not as just a good moral teacher not as a miracle worker, because all of those things benefit the self. We are to trust in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. We are to trust that he is the Christ, God in the flesh, and he alone is the Messiah in whom we have eternal life. And I'm going to equip you today with three different reasons to believe. The first is going to be certainty. The second is going to be content. 
And the third is going to be condemnation. Three reasons to believe. Certainty, content, condemnation. So the first reason to believe is certainty. And we know John, the author of these verses, was certain. Because as he would go on to write in 1 John, he writes about things he saw with his own eyes, touched with his own hands, and heard with his own ears. So why is certainty something that is desirable? Because certainty is what ignites the engine of purpose in your life. And purpose is what keeps you going. People who are certain stand for something. People who are uncertain stand for nothing. Every purposeful act of good in this world is done by someone who is certain. The reason why you can go out to hostile areas of the world and endure persecution, endure trials, endure hard labors to preach the gospel to those who are lost is because you are certain that the gospel is a matter of life and death. The reason why you can suppress the own enmity in your heart and show grace to your neighbor is because you are certain that God has commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Certainty is a virtue. Doubt is not a virtue. Doubt is like a hammer and a chisel where it can be used in pursuit of certainty where you can use that hammer and chisel to refine a block, to make it something pristine and beautiful. But if doubt is not used in pursuit of certainty, it's worthless. It's a vapor, it's a mist that has no value. People only doubt one thing so that they can be certain in something else. And if you're someone who has a lifestyle characterized by doubt, or you are a skeptic by nature, if you truly want to be honest with yourself, you have to begin doubting your doubts and being skeptical about your skepticism. So doubt points you to something else and certainty is a virtue. So how do we get certain? How do we obtain certainty that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? And the answer is simple, you have to believe. And this is where 20 some odd years ago, I wish I had someone tell me this. People have to dismiss themselves of the idea that faith is something which only fits in the box of religion. Real life depends on faith in order for you to be certain about anything. You start with the facts and then you take a step of faith, a step of belief which then animates your experiences, and then you become certain. That applies to life in general. Let's make this plain. I've been married now for eight years, but 13 years ago when I first met my wife, who was to be my wife, I had the facts. I knew she was a kind person. I knew she loved Jesus. I knew she was going somewhere. I knew she was very, very pretty. All of that were the facts. That was the proof, the evidence, the objective data. 
but was I certain that she was the one for me? Was she certain I was the one for her? She wasn't. What did we have to do? We had to take a step of faith. We had to take a step of belief, which then animated our experiences. We didn't know if one another were crazy, but we took a step of faith. Then you have the first date, then the second date, then the third date, then the weeks pass, then the months pass, then the years pass, and the facts animate your experiences. So now day by day, now you're certain. And now, after 10 plus years, she and I are both positively, absolutely certain that God put us in each other's lives for a specific purpose. So it doesn't matter if you're applying for a job. It doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur starting a business. You start with the facts. Then you take a step of faith, a step of belief, and then, when you have the facts backed up by experience, then you get certainty. So that's how reality works. You don't even have to open a Bible to figure that out. You start with the facts, which leads to experience, which gives you certainty, which tells you what? That everyone has faith, even if they don't want to admit it. Everyone has faith in something. You could even have faith in the idea that God doesn't exist. So there are people out there who are skeptic, looking for reasons to believe. And they're telling themselves, I can't believe until I know for sure, until I'm certain. But what you don't realize is that you won't be certain until you first believe. So the first reason to believe is certainty. And it's the certainty that only truly matters, where you will spend forever. So the only thing you have to be certain about is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The second reason to believe is content. The second reason to believe is content. And I'm specifically referring to the content in the Bible. So John writes, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. When John writes these, what is he referring to? He's referring to the facts, the narrative in the Bible. He's referring to these, the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. Which means what? Our belief is not blind. It's based on facts. It's based on content. Belief is always based on objective, real-life content. So if you need a reason to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, look at the content. Who is the central focus of the entire Bible? Jesus is. What is the central message of the entire Old Testament? He's coming. What's the central message of the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's here. What's the central message of the epistles, letters to churches? This is how you live to be like Jesus. What is the message of Revelation? He's coming back. You have to look at the content. When we get to the New Testament, 
What does the New Testament contain? It contains eyewitness testimony of what really happened in real life. It's what real people saw with their own eyes. It was objective, factual content they experienced in real life. This testimony was written about within one generation, within the, the generation of the writers who actually saw it happen. So if you're a skeptic and you doubt what these eyewitnesses said, then you don't have a problem with the Bible. You have a problem with history because that's how history was written, by eyewitness testimony. How do we know about the Civil War? Eyewitness testimony. How do we know about anything that happened before we were born? Eyewitness testimony. People saw it, they sensed it, and they wrote about it. If you were to have a problem with eyewitness testimony, then you actually despise the modern legal system because that's how the modern legal system works. We can put someone away in jail to death row based on eyewitness testimony. Sir, ma'am, what did you see? What did you hear? That's based on objective content. And by the way, the objective factual content was not a hallucination because multiple people at multiple points in time all saw the same thing, which means what? Multiple people cannot have the same hallucination. It wasn't a conspiracy. Because my question to a skeptic would be, what were they conspiring against? Was it a conspiracy if you ask the Apostle Peter, who was crucified because of what he believed? That sounds like a very poor conspiracy. Was it a conspiracy to Paul, who was stoned, tortured, and imprisoned because of what he believed? Let's take it a step further, because belief is based on content. If God was going to prove to us that he was God, what would he have to do to prove it in real life? He would have to do things like demonstrate his power over matter, like Jesus turning water into wine. He would have to demonstrate his power over nature, like transcending the laws of physics, like Jesus walking on water. And he would have to demonstrate his power over life itself, like Jesus raising three separate individuals from the dead. Look at the content. On top of that, Jesus said, I am God, John 8:58. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. He's declaring in real life to eyewitnesses, I am God. He uses the same name that God refers to himself in Exodus 3.14. The Father from heaven says, Jesus, this is my son. This is my son. This is the Savior. This is the Messiah. So we have the word of historical eyewitnesses testifying to miraculous things happening, which validates that Jesus is the Son of God who then tells us the content of the Bible, which is all about me, is the Word of God. That's not based on a fairy tale, that's based on real life content. But to top it all off, John again says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Beloved, keep in mind, skepticism did not begin. Doubts were not raised in the modern era. People began doubting the historicity and the factual nature of the Bible 2,000 years ago. God is the one who addressed these objections way back then. It's not a modern convention. We all of a sudden didn't develop a discerning eye in the 21st century. Look at what Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So 2,000 years ago, Peter addressed the historicity and the factual nature of the gospel. So the second reason to believe, once again, is look at the content. Because the amount of content in the Bible is so overwhelming that inspection is transformative. And this makes belief in Jesus Christ the opposite of blind. Because the wider you open your eyes, the easier belief becomes. The third reason to believe is condemnation. The third reason to believe is condemnation. Specifically, belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah saves you, delivers you from condemnation. So John writes again, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the benefit of believing is that we may have life, which means what? The threat of not believing, there looms a threat of death. So here's the short of it. In the end, on the final day of judgment, all those who don't hear will feel. It is an inescapable fact. Everyone has fallen short in obeying the law of God. And the wrath of God will, we can be certain, will be poured out against those who do not profess faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Romans 2.5 says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. If you believe, you will be delivered from condemnation. But if you do not believe, no one can withstand the wrath of an angry God. You will be judged and you will face condemnation. Jesus is the one who will save us. Jesus is the one who will deliver us. But what does Jesus save us from? When we believe in him, who is he delivering us from? It is the wrath of God, because only God can save us from the wrath of God. 
If you stand in the presence of a holy and just God and you are vouching for yourself, you don't stand a chance because there is nothing you can say, there is nothing you can do that can justify yourself in front of someone who is holy. But if you believe and if you are in Christ and now clothed in his righteousness, only God can turn away the wrath of God. And now you will not be condemned, but now you will have life. 1 John 2 says, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, not only for you, but for the entire world. That's a fancy word that means, in the end, all those who don't hear will feel. And only God, Jesus, can turn away God's wrath. Believe in him, and you will have life. Do not believe in him, and you will have condemnation. The bad news is that if you refuse to believe, if you refuse to assent to faith in Jesus Christ, there is no hope because you will have an angry God above, a guilty conscience within, and the fiery fires of hell waiting to swallow you up from below. You will face condemnation. But if you believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, you will be raised from death from below. You will have the liberation of having your sins forgiven, and you will have the love of God poured out from above. So the re third reason to believe is to see save yourself by faith in Jesus Christ from condemnation, from the wrath of God. Because all those who don't hear will feel. In conclusion, before our theme verses, we have a dialogue with Thomas, who's doubting Thomas. He's someone that is often praised as a hero by skeptics. He's someone who says, I won't believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead until I actually take my finger and put it into his wrists. Until I take my finger and put it into Jesus' side. Thomas had a condition for his belief. Unless I see, I won't believe. But what people fail to realize is Thomas soon assented to faith. He actually, when he saw Jesus, said, my Lord and my God, my kurios, my theos. It is the highest expression of deity in the New Testament. So Thomas began as a skeptic, and he ended up assenting to faith in Jesus Christ. And the other thing to notice is this. In the beginning, Thomas had a demand. He said, unless I take my finger and actually touch Christ, I won't believe. But his condition was never met. The Bible tells us he never took his finger and put it in Jesus' wounds. All he had to do was actually see Jesus in front of him. All he had to do was examine the word made flesh and actually examine the content. And that gave Thomas a reason to believe. So we may not be able to take our fingers and stick it in the nail wounds of Jesus Christ now. 
but blessed are those who have not seen the risen Christ and still believe, because we have the content of the Bible from which we can derive certainty. So how, do, how, like Thomas, do we go from a posture of skepticism to one of belief? Which, by the way, is an important point. Because you may have your doubts, you may have your reservations, but that does not disqualify you from belief. Your doubt and your reservations may be just the first step in marching towards belief in Jesus Christ. So how do we get to my Lord and my God, as Thomas said? There are three actionable strategies. The first is you have to embrace the stubborn fact of the resurrected Christ. As I preached last week, he has risen. And he has risen, changed the world. The stubborn fact of the resurrection explains how Jews for thousands of years could celebrate the Sabbath on a Friday. And once Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, now they celebrated it on Sunday. He has risen explains how countless historical figures like Polycarp, and as it is written in the martyrdom of perpetual felicity, why they died because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a stubborn fact of the resurrection. He has risen explains why before Jesus Christ resurrected, the Christian church did not exist. After the resurrection, the Christian church exploded and is now the most populous religion in the entire world. The stubborn fact of the resurrection explains why time is split in half by the birth of Jesus Christ. If you are a skeptic and you deny the stubborn fact that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, now you have to have an alternative explanation to why all of those things happened. The Bible gives us an explanation, and that's because Jesus is real and he is our Messiah. The Bible is full of content which proves the stubborn fact that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And if you doubt that, it is now your responsibility to produce an alternative explanation. How do we get to my Lord and my God? You have to read the Bible. You have to read the Bible. Any scientist will tell you, you never take someone else's word for it. You have to investigate for yourself. So if you need an actionable strategy of how you can believe, you have to read the Bible. Don't Google a question. Don't watch a YouTube video about it. You have to read the content yourself. And here is a brutal fact. 70% of Americans call themselves Christians, which means more than 100 million people say, yes, I believe in Christ. But of those people, half only read their Bible about once or twice a year, which means they are biblically illiterate. And why would you ever go seeking advice from someone who is illiterate about content in a book? It doesn't make any sense. So you have to absolutely, positively read the Bible yourself. And if you need a place to start, John is the perfect place to start. 
because John tells us these things are written so that you may believe. Finally, you have to ask an expert. Ask someone who is well-learned. Ask someone whose responsibility it is to care for people and to allow them to grow in their faith. We have the gift in this church, Deeper Life Christian Fellowship, of having a senior pastor who is more than well-learned. There are no barriers to ask him a question. And people who ask stupid questions are what? Are full of answers. You can ask me. You can go to WCSK.org and ask any question. So if you're not local, you can be on the other side of the world. You go to the website, you post a question, you'll get a meaningful answer in 48 hours. Resilient faith actually starts, it actually grows by asking stupid questions. And God doesn't want you to deny your senses to find him because he's the one that gave you those senses in the first place. He can well withstand your scrutiny. Beloved, the thing I want to emphasize is that the gospel is not a soft invitation. It's a command. As Acts 17.30 says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Belief is not a suggestion, it is a command, because this is more than a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life and death. Today is the Lord's day, tomorrow is the devil's day. Fear not, do not waver, do not hesitate. Decide now and commit yourself to believe. Because once again, it's more than a matter of life and death, it's a matter of eternal life and death. So we must believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These are the reasons to believe. Church, God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Dr. Sadafa. For more valuable information and resources, please visit chesadafal.com.